Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the BT Powerhouse Podcast. This is uh, number 27. It is uh, June 24th. We are on uh, NBA Draft Night Eve, uh, so to speak, here. Um, So we kind of wanted to get together, uh, chat a little about the action that's coming tomorrow. Uh, Obviously, a big night um, in basketball uh, for the Big Ten and specifically for um, the Big Ten players who could be drafted and uh, their families, obviously a great night for them and really a uh, sort of a coronation of, you know, years and years of hard work. Um, but nonetheless, we want to talk about uh, who could get drafted, how many players from the Big Ten, where they could fit in, uh, can they make an impact early in the NBA, what kind of long-term in- impact they can make. Uh, and to help me out, we have two of our uh our great writers here, uh, Adam and Josh. Uh, Adam, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me tonight. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, Josh, how are things going? Things are good. Things are good. I'm, I'm excited for the draft. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, after months and months of uh, of talk, it's nice to finally uh, to have it here. Uh, <laughs> uh, just one day away, and actually, you know, less than 24 hours here, and we'll know who the number one pick is, but, um, but yeah, why don't, why don't we jump back straight into it here? Um, obviously, uh, there are the big three, so to speak, from the big 10 this year, uh, Sam Decker for Wisconsin, D'Angelo Russell for Ohio state and Frank Kaminsky for Wisconsin. Um, they look like the only for sure big 10 draft picks. Um, and the only likely first rounders, uh, first, do you agree with that assessment? And second, um, which which of those guys? How do you? What kind of order do you see out of those? Um, and Adam, we'll start with you on this one. Um, I I agree. You know that those are are the three shoe in guys right there, and it's not a bad trio really if you look at it because they're both projected in the lottery, or all three of them, I should say, are projected in the lottery. I think we've seen at some at one point or another we've seen Frank Kaminsky. I think. Uh, come up a little bit you know I've seen mocks with him anywhere from number eight to the Pistons at one point to number 13 I believe uh, with the and uh, you know just a few weeks ago he was in you know uh, 20 or 21st pick Sam Decker is another guy that I've seen shoot up a little bit too but D'Angelo Russell the the more the closer it gets to the draft and the more people talk about big time prospects I feel like D'Angelo Russell is the guy that Everyone is is looking at and and uh, viewing as the one with the most potential, at least out you know right out of the gate. So I think that D'Angelo will probably be the first guy from the Big Ten selected. I don't know. If, I don't necessarily think uh, that's really up for debate. That's, that'll probably happen, guaranteed. Okay. Um, you seem to be having a little bit of phone trouble for you, so maybe you're in a, a bad spot or something. Um, but, uh, but Josh, do, do you agree with that? And kind of how do you see them coming off the board? 
Yeah. Um, no, I definitely agree with Adam. I mean, I think, you know, between Russell, uh, Kaminsky, and Decker, I think those are the only surefire, definitely first-round picks. I think once you start getting into the second round, at least the Big Ten guys, I think Aaron White is a potential, but he's kind of on the lower end of the second round. So he's probably the only other guy right now, at least that I think is kind of in contention. Um, I mean, I think D'Angelo Russell has to go first between those three. I mean, honestly, he could go anywhere from being slotted number one to, you know, four or five, depending on how everything shakes out. Um, I think Kaminsky will go second. I I really love his game. I mean, it was great for college. I don't quite know how it's going to translate to the NBA. Um, but I think the really interesting player, the one that could kind of make the uh, – the most surprising impact of anyone drafted, honestly, is uh, is Decker. I think his versatility, his length, um, and if he can improve his jump shot, just as a six nine small forward in a league that's getting smaller, but he can move like a guard. Um, it'll be really interesting to see whether Decker goes to a team that he can come in and contribute to right away. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think um, I think at this point it's pretty clear that Russell is going to go off the board first, um, and I, I definitely think he should. Um, he's the youngest of the three. He was really, um, uh, you know, he's probably the second best player in the in the conference last year um, behind Kaminsky. But um, considering he was just a freshman and he had a lot less around him than either Decker or Kaminsky, um, I think that says a lot about his skill set. And, and really, I mean, even when you just watched him, there there was so much more there than even he was showing last year. And he was already fantastic. Um after him, uh, I do think Kaminsky, uh, I agree, I think Kaminsky will probably come off the board second. Um, but I, I do kind of like Decker more long-term. Um, you know, Kaminsky has the the great skill set, the really diverse um, post game, but Decker to me fits better in the NBA. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of concerned about how, where Kaminsky fits in terms of, you know, he Size-wise, he's a five, and on defense, he's a five. But, um, you know, his his offensive skill set, I'm kind of concerned how it's going to sit there. Um, and really, you know, down low, how is he going to defend? But um, but nonetheless, yeah, those three seem to go high uh, or seem like the guys who are going to go high. Um, and and kind of spinning off this, I, I believe Josh talked on, about Aaron White a little bit here. But uh, who who is a guy you could see sneaking in? Um, relatively high in that in that second round, um, and who would it be? Uh, maybe if there's a couple guys, uh, who would they they be, and can they stick to an NBA roster? Because um, as we always talk about, the second round uh, is not guaranteed. Um, so Adam, who who do you see that could potentially fit into that role? And hopefully my connection is better here. Um, one guy that I would really like to see, and I guess maybe this is a little bit biased on my point, on my uh, on my behalf, but I would really like to see Tra- Travis Trice get a shot. I think that he has proven, you know, through four years under Tom Nizzo, I think anybody who makes it out uh, and still sane after those four years uh, deserves some kind of, I don't know, I don't know, but uh, Travis definitely has the. Uh, the dedication factor. He's got the effort factor, the coachability, all that stuff. Son of a coach. Uh, I I can't imagine um, a guy. You know, if he was a shot in the NBA, I can't imagine. You know, the team or the or the coach or the management or whatever being sorry because you're going to get a player. I think that's going to give you effort all the time. And I think that he knows that he's a little bit of an underdog role too. But 
he would be a very late second round. I don't know if I see any other guys from the Big Ten going in the early second round. I think, uh, as, as mentioned, Aaron White, uh, possibly a late second round pick. And I think we've, I think we've all probably at some point talked about Terran Petaway from Nebraska. Um, so that's, that's where I'm looking. My, as far as anybody, the guys outside the first round, Travis Trice, I guess, is the guy that I'm focused on. I've seen him in mock drafts going to the Cleveland Cavaliers, actually. Um, you know, and he's from Ohio, so that'd be a hometown thing for him. But, uh, that's kind of where I sit on that. I, I've, I just can't. I can't get over when I love seeing guys like in, in Aaron Kraft. You know, Aaron Kraft wasn't really somebody who had the NBA skill, but he had the uh, the, the effort, the hustle department. I think Travis Trice is probably a little bit better scorer, and I think that Travis, you know, he can improve better overall. And I think that he he will get a shot at some point, whether through a camp or or whatever. But uh, that's that's a guy who I'd like to see get a shot. Uh, Josh, how do you, how do you see it uh, shaking out? Um, so yeah, definitely agree with Adam. Um, I think Travis Wright's definitely definitely a great player. Um, kind of to go along with all of those intangibles, one guy I would love to see potentially get a shot on uh, on an NBA roster is Gabriel Olashany. I wrote about him earlier this year. He was one of my favorite players in the Big Ten. One of those like old school kind of below the basket guys. Kind of brought his heart hat to work every game. Um, and just someone that I think, you know, obviously not going to be an NBA star, but a guy that at 6'10", a little bit like what Festus Azili kind of did for the Warriors this year, just a guy that really knows his role, is a great defender, a great rebounder, you know, someone that a, a contending team could say, maybe we need one more big man. Um, and I think Olashaney could really provide both size and rebounding um, to a team that, that could potentially, potentially be um, – in contention for a championship. So those are probably the, the main two. I mean, you could potentially see uh, Brandon Dawson maybe getting a late look, but uh, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be tough to see too many Big Ten guys sneak in at the end. Um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of them just uh, – they they don't have that NBA size. They don't have that uh, elite athleticism to really get in the – um, in contention there, but um, a couple of the guys that I I've kind of had my eye on, um, you know, first off, Petaway from Nebraska. He's really he's really been getting a lot of attention. I know he's worked out with uh, Detroit twice, which uh, anytime you see a guy work out with the same team twice, that's kind of a, a red flag that pops up. Um, I am kind of interested to see how he could fit into kind of a a limited role because um, at Nebraska it was. A lot of times it was, you know, throw the ball to pet away. He'll make something work. He'll he'll chuck it up. Um, and that's not going to work in the NBA because he's not going to be the best player on the floor. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if, uh, and especially in the summer league, you know, can he be that number three uh, offensively and not be that go-to guy uh, and kind of force up shots. But he, he's the big one to me that pops out. Um, I know uh, – Adam was talking about Trice, and I, I definitely agree. I think uh, his offensive skill set definitely has to make him an option. Uh, the size is an issue, obviously, but um, but I could see him sneaking onto a roster, uh, you know, late, a uh, team that needs a point guard and, you know, a guy who can boost offense off the bench. Uh, I could see him sneaking in there. But um, outside of those two, uh, again, you know, Aaron White, um, he has the athleticism, he has the body. Uh, it's just where – 
does he fit in exactly in an NBA lineup? But uh, uh, yeah, so I, I'd say that's kind of the um, the general thoughts there on some of the later ones. Um, in terms of uh, what should I say o- outside of those, um, who do you see a guy that could potentially uh, you know this summer? The big thing will be the summer league, and I, I guess just to get a little more discussion about some of the the other guys, so to speak. Uh, who's a guy you could see shaking it up in the summer league who could uh, work his way onto a roster if he does go uh, undrafted? And Adam, we'll, we'll start with you on this one. I'll go. I'll go back to Brandon Dawson if that's okay, because I I kind of looked him over, and and yeah, both of you guys, Josh, make a good point. Da- the Dawson's thing is he's a, a tweener, right? I mean, he was playing a lot of four. For Izzo, but he doesn't, he doesn't handle four sides for the NBA. But he, he proved this past season that he's an elite rebounder, he's an elite athlete around the rim, never developed a jump shot, which, you know, we were waiting for. You know, it seemed like every summer that was the thing, like Brandon Dawson's worked on his jump shot and he's going to showcase it this year and it didn't happen. And then that cycle repeats again and again. My only question with Brandon is just his tendency to disappear a lot of times. Because we've seen when we when we've seen him at his peak, when Brandon Dawson is at like the high end, he is easily one of the best athletes on the floor, if not the best athlete on the floor. And I think he proved that, especially last year during the tournament, uh, a 24 point game, a 26 point game. He played well during stretches uh, during the Final Four run this year. Didn't play incredibly well against Duke, from what I remember. But Dawson is one of those guys that. You expected. I wasn't. I wasn't ever surprised, really, when he put up a game with 20 points and 14 rebounds, because I knew that he had it in him. I was more surprised when he had those games where it was four points and two rebounds, and he he really picked up his blocking last year too. If he can, if he can elevate himself, you know, and this is easy to say, if he can be consistent in a summer league and just and prove that he doesn't have that on-off switch, I think that gives him a real like a tremendous upside, really. Because who doesn't want somebody like Dawson who can rebound? And you get to take away the fact that he's only six six or maybe six five, really. And take that away and just look at how he's got a vertical. He can. He's proven that he can rebound with anybody, and he's strong enough too. Like I said, my only my only question with him really is just motor and consistency. But when he when he's topping out, there aren't many guys that I that I like better on the glass and around the rim than Brandon. Uh, Josh, uh, who do you see as a guy who could emerge this summer? Um, quickly to touch on Adam's point, I think that the, the Brandon Dawson is a really interesting player because you saw someone like Draymond Green, who's maybe six seven, general, generously listed at six eight, who was playing center uh, in the NBA Finals and making a massive impact, having a triple double in the final game. So if someone like Dawson can maybe stick as a three or a four, just at, like Adam said, just with high intensity, uh, a lot of effort, a lot of energy, then uh, I think he could probably stick on the roster. I, I think that there's enough of an upside with Dawson where if he can improve his jump shots, the team should take a chance on him. Um, my guy that I think really deserves a shot would be uh, DJ Newbill at, uh, at Penn State. I think um, Newbill obviously didn't get the type of publicity and national TV games that guys playing at Ohio State and Michigan and Wisconsin get. Um, but Newville's just a phenomenal scorer, really didn't play with a great team. Um, and I think more than anything, he just has a chip on his shoulder. So I think 
Newble doesn't expect to get drafted. I don't think he will get drafted, but I could see Newble being the guy in summer league that just kind of is putting in extra shots and really kind of wowing um, scouts and GMs by staying all four years and really working on his game and trying to turn Penn State into more of a basketball program. So I think watching Newbill over the next month or so will be really interesting. Uh, you took my guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I I definitely think Newbill's a guy who could tear it up. Um, I don't think he has the measurables, and I don't think he has that you know pedigree to really uh, get into the draft. I know some people are holding out hope, but – Man, if you watch the guy play, I mean, he was just an assassin. You know, he could score outside, he could score inside, he could pass. Um, he wasn't that bad of a defender. Um, he had it all. It's just he doesn't have those raw measurements to to get drafted, um, unfortunately for him. But um, I definitely think he's a guy who you could see just light it up in the in the summer league and somebody, you know, bring him in um, and sneak onto a roster for next season. Um but to talk about somebody else, because you already jumped on Newville here. <laughs> um, one, of, one of the interesting guys for me um, is Shannon Scott. I know uh, before the season started, a lot of people were talking about him as a second round, maybe even above that. Um, he kind of slid uh, when his kind of insane assist numbers dropped off during Big Ten play. But um but he's a he's a great defender. I know he's undersized. Um, again, that's the issue with a lot of these these guards at this uh, um, that we're talking about here uh, for the summer. But um, you know he can defend, he can pass. Um, he obviously ha- will have to develop more of a shot. But um, I could see him as a guy. You know, if he can run an offense efficiently enough uh, this summer, that you know they would feel fine. You know, bringing him on as as the third point guard. And just, uh, you know, they know they can get a couple minutes out of him um, and the offense won't collapse. But um, he's another guy that that I would say out there who could, uh, um, you know, potentially sneak in there. But, uh, but yeah, kind of moving back off of some of the Big, big Ten guys here um, towards the draft as a whole, you know, obviously there's a lot of debate at the top um, about who's going to go number one, number two, number three, and so on. Um, who who do you see as the top prospect in the draft uh, this year, um, and sort of why why do you see that, and where do you see them uh, factoring in long term? Um, Adam, we'll start with you on this one. I've I've always liked Jaleel Okafor, and for a lot of reasons, I d- and I guess maybe they're not always the best reasons. It seems like every time I watch Jaleel Okafor play. He's, he plays like the player that I think that he can be. And I think he demonstrated. I, I'll go back to the games, you know, the Final Four against Michigan State. Uh, you know, he was he was pretty hard to handle for the Spartans, and and that was the case. He had, he even been slowed down a little bit in the per, three games prior to that. But I think that uh, one of the questions about him too, people were like, well, does he have an on-off switch? And if he did, he'd, he'd certainly turn it on when it uh, mattered most. A lot of uh, Kyle, Town, Kyle Towns, I know, is a lot. A lot of people are talking about when you and when you have big men like that that exhibit those all those skills. You know, we've mentioned like the raw skills and the measurables, and those guys have it, and and they're definitely strong and uh, great options for the top pick. I think I don't know. I'm looking at the draft. I'm looking at Draft Express right now, and it has and that's kind of like one of my favorite mock draft sites. It has Kyle Towns going number one overall. Um, I guess it couldn't 
argue with that, but if I had if I had to choose between Towns and Okafor, I, I would take Okafor. I think in, in this draft particularly, if you look at the best player available, the position, and, and especially like a cornerstone position, the big man, you know, those are always at a premium. Uh, Jaleel Okafor, to me, seems like the logical no-brainer number one pick. Wow, no-brainer. Uh, bold. Uh, <laughs> uh, Josh, uh, who do you see as the top guy? Um, despite your calling it a no-brainer, I'm going to have to disagree and say that I think Towns is my number one. I mean, the biggest thing for me is the NBA is shifting to faster, uh, smaller ball, more agile. And I, Jaleel Okafor projects as a true center, and I think he'll be a, a very good player. But I like the versatility that uh, that Towns has. I love the way he runs the floor. Sure, his post game isn't as refined as Okafor's, but Okafor, I felt like, got completely exposed in numerous games um, on defense against teams that he had should have no business giving up 15, 20 points to the opposing interior player. Um, I just think that Towns really didn't get to showcase everything, whereas at the end of the season, Duke had seven scholarship players and and Towns maybe only played 21 or 22 minutes a game, so he didn't get the chance to play. Arguably, he got to play maybe a third or or half of what he was going to play in the NBA. So I think once you let him showcase a lot of what he can do um, and the fact that he can shoot, that he can pass, that he's a really good rim protector, um, I like him on the whole better than Okafor. Interesting. Yeah, I um, I was really high on Okafor coming out of high school. Uh, actually, you know, a couple years before that. To me, he was uh, Solinger 2.0, which uh, I know he's gotten a lot of comparisons to now. Um, and I, I was just, you know, mega high on him. And I he totally lived up to the hype for me in college. But um, I never was quite sure on him as a pro prospect just because uh, – he he really relies on bullying guys with his size, um, you know, which works great in college, great in high school. But I'm kind of worried about him doing that against, you know, seven foot big NBA centers. Um, and that that was my first red flag with Okafor. And the other thing is, is I I don't think I realized how good Towns was. And you know, I I hate to put too much stock into workouts and so on, but um. You know, they always talk about how, you know, with Kentucky, they, you know, they play to win. They don't necessarily, you know, showcase all their talents uh, and so on. But I didn't realize, you know, one of his best skills coming out of high school was shooting uh, from long range. And, like, during the workout, he was hitting, like, 70 of 100 three-point shots or something, which I know, you know, a workout's a lot different than uh, during a game. But, you know, if Towns has a has a three-point shot as well, like, wow, He's he's truly like a, a crazy prospect. Um, so I, I think it was the fact that, you know, some of these skills that he didn't really get to show as much at Kentucky and the fact that I, I just was a little concerned about Okafor. That really makes me, you know, view Towns as the top guy. Um, but behind him, I definitely think Okafor is the second guy. Uh, I think that's who I would draft. Um, I know a lot of people have talked about Russell, but, um, you know, Okafor to me, his offensive game is just, phenomenal um and you know even if he's a bad defender you still you still got that to rely on um but moving moving out of that uh jumping back over to the big 10 uh so to speak uh you know the big question will be you know how many 
guys uh, do the Big Ten or does the Big Ten end up getting drafted? Uh, you know, the last couple of years, the Big Ten has done very well uh, getting multiple lottery picks, a uh, bunch of guys in the first round. Um, you know, it really doesn't look like they're going to get the same success this year. But um, but ultimately, how many guys do you see getting drafted? Um, and, Adam, we'll start with you on this one. I'm I'm going to say three guys. I'm going to take the easy, safe pick. I mean, four – Four at the very least, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna hang on to, to the belief that somebody at the very end, and I'd have to look at the draft order, but I'm, I want to believe that somebody with like a 58 to non-pick that wants a, a good point guard to just stick in the rotation, somebody who's defensive-minded, hustle uh, would would take a flyer on Travis Choice. But I like I said, I'll go I'll go the safe route, and I'll say that it's uh, Decker, Kaminsky, and Russell. Being uh, being drafted for sure, which is uh, like we said, that's definitely happening. Um, but I would I would go I'd go one further, and and I would say that Kaminsky gets drafted before Decker. I'll say that Decker is the is the last one to go. It'll go Russell Kaminsky Decker. Okay, um, Josh, how, how many people do you see getting drafted from the Big Ten? Um, yeah, I, I agree, by the way, with the order. I think you have Russell, Kaminsky, and Decker. I think some team um, maybe in the 10 or 11 range is going to uh, pull the trigger on Kaminsky. Um, I've heard rumors that the the Knicks are potentially in uh, in trade talks with the Suns and might um, and might trade their number four pick for the 13th pick in Eric Bledsoe. And I know that the Knicks have been very high on Kaminsky. So that could potentially be a landing spot. If not, the Suns could pick him at 13, too. Um, and then, yeah, I think Decker will follow him. And then I think you'll see one other Big Ten player be drafted. Um, I don't know who it's going to be, but I think that there are too many Big Ten players, and and the Big Ten, um, maybe it wasn't the top conference in college basketball, but you know you could argue it was the second or third best this season. So um, I think someone from that from the conference will likely be drafted. My hunch is it's Aaron White, that just his shooting inside, someone will take a chance on him. But, you know, it could be Dawson, it could be Petaway, it could be any one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to take the the easy thing here and just, just kind of fall in line here. Um, yeah, I, I think the, um, you know, Russell, Kaminsky, Decker are all pretty, they're locks. Um, you know, they're going to go in the first round. It's just about, you know, how high they go. Um, I do think... Uh, Russell and Kaminsky end up in the lottery. I think Decker, you know, misses the lottery, but it's pretty close. Um, and, you know, I I have to think one of those other guys get in. Um, you know, you have White in there. You have well, Des Wells from Maryland. You have uh, Shan Scott, Trice, Dawson, you know, Petaway. You, I would think, you know, at least one of those guys gets, uh, you know, grabbed up late. Um, you know, last year it was Marble from Iowa, Um Orlando ended up taking a shot on him. I, I think they take a shot on one more. Um, I don't. I don't want to. Um, I'm not very confident that more than one uh, comes off. I, I think it's White or Petaway most likely. But um, you know, that's what I see. I do think uh, more will make NBA rosters by next year. Um, you know, we were talking about some of the guys who might do all this summer. But um, but that's kind of how I see that shaking out. Um, I think it'll be a good year for the Big Ten, considering that three guys go in the first round and you put three real, uh, 
you know, solid, hopefully solid rookies in the league. But um, but overall, I do think it'll be a drop back from the the great 2013 and 2014 drafts. Um, but but I guess jumping ahead, so to speak, um, you know, last year the Big Ten had a couple guys do well, uh, some guys underwhelmed. Um, who do you who do you think is going to be the best rookie out of the Big Ten this year um, in the NBA? And uh, Adam, we'll start with you. I, I think if you I think if you look at the potential to do something right now, there would be D'Angelo Russell and most of the mocks that I've seen going number three to the Sixers. So just the uh, what are these like six five, six six, two hundred pounds? He can do a lot of things. My here's my thing, and I've been I've been waiting to say this, and I want to Thomas. I think you were actually at that game. Um, it's not that I don't think that D'Angelo Russell is really good because I just I'm going to go ahead and say that I think that he has the most potential to you know make an impact immediately, but I don't know if he if the ceiling is as high as a lot of people like to say. And I know he does have some time to develop. I think I think my my concern with him is sometimes he's a little bit careless with the ball, and I don't believe. Uh, Especially during that Michigan game, he actually looked, you know, regular with Muhammad Abdul mm-hmm. Rahman and and Aubrey Dawkins. They, you know, so and it's unfair to base it on the one game. I know, but I guess I, in the back of my mind, there's there's just a little bit of a concern with with D'Angelo for me. But uh, overall speaking, with you look at. He's an exciting offensive player, there's no doubt there. And then a, a team like the Philadelphia 76ers, it's kind of just like the prime elixir to have a guy come in there and, and score a bunch of points and throw a bunch of young, uh, talented guys on the floor and, and see what they can do. Because I think, you know, the Sixers have been waiting for the future for, I don't know, since, <laughs> a, long, <laughs> since a long time, pre, pre-AI and post-AI. So it's a... I don't know. I think if if you look at if he is drafted by the Sixers, that's that's pretty good. I I think we could see him scoring anywhere 15, 15 18 points a game. Depends on his role in the offense. All right, um, Josh, uh, who do you see as the best rookie? Um, well, I think there's two different ways to answer that question. I think there's a difference between the best rookie and the most successful rookie. I think. Russell will be the best rookie. I think that's true. But I think the problem is if he gets drafted to a team like Minnesota or Philadelphia, I think he's just going to become disinterested. There were too many times during the season where he pretty much knew um, that Ohio State was getting outplayed, and he kind of, you know, he took a lot of shots and got his numbers, but I don't really know whether he looked um, super interested in what was going on. He kind of seemed disengaged and, and almost like he, he played a bunch of games like he had one foot in the NBA already. Maybe that's just his speed, but that was probably the biggest takeaway and the biggest knock on Russell is um, it's his lack of total engagement. As for the most successful, I think if Frank Kaminsky gets drafted by the right team, I think he could be a really nice 10 to 12 point five rebound guy off the bench, someone that comes in for a team maybe like Indiana, that obviously has Paul George Hurt and has a really nice support, nice supporting cast, but could kind of be a nice change-up for Roy Hibbert off the bench. Um, and so I think in that regard, just that Kaminsky shooting um, is really a nice weapon. And, and I think that because Russell's getting drafted to a team that is so much worse than the teams that Kaminsky and Decker will be drafted to, I think 
they'll have better staff, but not as successful of a rookie year. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, for me, I'm uh, you know just to just to jump onto the the Russell point here a little bit. Um, I, I will say you know flat out, I'm very high on Russell. I, I think his raw ability is just through the roof. Um, I think he just has a really diverse skill set, whether it's shooting, handling the ball, passing. Um, you know, not the best defender, but uh, you know, an area. He, I mean, he's just a freshman, but um, uh, but the one thing I, I will say, you know, you talked a little bit about him potentially, you know, not playing that well in in games uh, that didn't matter as much, or him putting up a bunch of stats but not making that much of an impact. Um, that was one of the big struggles. I think a lot of people forget because he had he was so good in Big Ten play. But, uh, you know, early in the season, he had a lot of games where he got stats, but um, it was all, it was against bad teams. Um, and in really any of the significant games early in the year, um, he really didn't do much uh, at all. So I think, um, you know, that is, that is something that could have some legitimacy to it. I think a lot of that, you know, was dissuaded by the Big Ten play and, and really uh, two pretty solid games in the NCAA tournament. But, um, but I, I did just want to throw that out there for Russell. But, again, I'm pretty high on him. Uh, for year one, um, kind of using Josh's uh, evaluation here, I do agree. I think the stats-wise, it's going to be Russell. Um, you know, he's probably going to be the 76ers' only uh, real NBA player <laughs> uh, over at Tank Fest over there. But um, yeah. I think, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I could see Decker being – being the top, uh, the better guy and and a you know a, a comparable guy long term. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm pretty, I'm higher on Decker than Kaminsky. Um, I'm kind of concerned about how Kaminsky fits in, but um, but yeah, I, I think you have a few shots there to not only to be in serious contention for the All uh, NBA Rookie Team this year, but uh, but really to be All Stars uh, long term. You know, um, Thomas, just one quick question. Oh, go ahead. Um, so I'm looking at the stats quickly. In the game against Arizona in D'Angelo Russell's final collegiate game, he shot three for 19 and one for seven on threes. Um, I mean, my fear is, you know, if he goes into the league on a team like Philadelphia and he, he has the freedom to take a bunch of shots, that he'll end up putting up numbers similar to this. Do you think this is the legitimate concern or do you think that, you know, it's, it's one game in a really small sample size and you probably won't see it in the NBA? I mean, I, I think I think there's two ways to spin off that. Uh, I just pulled this up, by the way, just so I, I know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think the first thing you also have to throw out is that he did have six assists and seven rebounds. Um, and the second thing is, is Arizona had an amazing defense last year. So I think, um, you know, nine points against Arizona is like a lot more points against a regular team. But, you know, that's a, that's a side note. But, um I, I do think, you know, I feel like he'll be able to get enough stats. Just, um, you know, he was he did have his inconsistent times. I definitely will agree. But, um, uh, you know, when he when he was on, I mean, he was just unbelievable. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I guess we'll see. You know, nobody knows for sure. Um, to me, I think he's an impact player, and I think uh, um, he can create enough by himself. But, uh but yeah, obviously, you know, he did have games like that where he didn't have the the greatest stats. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think overall, um, it'll be 
it'll be interesting to see who shakes out. I know uh, we're kind of split on Russell, it seems like, but um, uh, but yeah, jumping jumping kind of back. Um, that's sort of your your NBA intro here. Um, but one one note newsworthy thing uh, that broke today that I did kind of want to jump on before we before we hang up here. Um, I don't know if you guys had saw it, but uh, Northwestern released their non-conference schedule today. Um, again, not NBA draft related at all, but uh, and it, it could be the worst non-conference schedule I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I I gotta look this up, but they don't right now. Uh, they do have a tournament, a non-conference tournament, where they could play uh, UNC, Kansas State, and um, Missouri. But right now, they are not guaranteed any games against. Uh, teams that finished in the top 100 at Ken Palm last year. They have five games against 300-plus teams and 10 games against 200-plus teams, meaning they have 15 or uh, you know 10 games that are against really terrible teams uh, on, what, a 15-, 16-game non-conference slate. But uh, just kind of wanted to get your reactions to that, whether you think that's a, a good strategy for a team kind of that looks like they might be up and coming uh, this year or next year, um, and what changes you would have made if you would have made them. Uh, and Adam, we'll we'll have you start on this one. <laughs> I'll I'll just go broad because I haven't seen the schedule, but I would think if you're if you're an up and coming team. Oh, and real quick, by the way, Josh, a great way to look at you know the the best player or who would make an impact that um, that makes a lot of sense that way too. Um, as far as far as you know, if I think I'm an up and coming team, if I think that I have enough players, my my train of thought would be why not challenge them a little bit early in, in the season. And I'm not saying go Tom Izzo and, and play somebody on an aircraft carrier and then go to Germany and and you know and play UConn or you know whoever the defending national champion is at the time. You don't have to do that, but I mean, you know, we we've all heard the jokes, you know, the the Southeast Missouri Community College team, you know, whatever. Those, those teams, I don't know if they're what kind of benefit are you getting? If, and for the other guys, they get to say, yeah, we played, we played a Big Ten team. Uh, if you're Northwestern, I mean, I, I don't really, especially in basketball. I think if you have the opportunity, you can schedule outside of your league. If you think that maybe you're going to have a postseason, why not try to put some guys in your way that'll that'll get you pumped up? And we all know how physical the Big Ten is, so why not try to maybe. Uh, if you can to help out, help out without beating up your team too much. Uh, give them some opponents that are like conference opponents. You know, I mean, I think with a non-conference schedule, you have the uh, you have the liberty to get creative a little bit. And I think, and I again, I'll use Tom Mizzo as kind of the the reference, and he's he's like the guy when it comes to challenging uh, in the in the uh, non-conference schedule. So. Like I said, if you're, you don't have to go full out and play North Carolina, Kansas, Duke, but I, I like the idea of at least challenging. And if you're playing, if you're playing, what did you say, ten of the sixteen, ten or ten of the fifteen or sixteen games, or against just cellar dwellers, I don't really see a lot of benefit in that. Um, you know, it's it's instilling a little bit of false confidence, really. And especially, like I said, if you're an up-and-coming team. Why not challenge yourself a little bit and see if you're really as good as you think you are? Yeah, just uh, just to put it a little bit, I believe they have 13 games and at least like 10 of them are against just terrible teams. But um, but yeah, Josh, uh, we'll have you uh, jump in on this. 
sure. Um, well, I think it's kind of, especially for a school like Northwestern that's in the Bay 10 but doesn't really necessarily get as much national TV exposure, I think maybe going to one of those schools or playing one of those games on an aircraft carrier is kind of a nice thing for exposure. Um, you know, Michigan State, you know, their their regular season wasn't the best, but the fact that they've been playing on national TV a lot probably helped them in terms of seeding, to be honest, because the committee got to at least watch them a little more and got to see them progress from the beginning of, of the season till the end. So I think that um, I, I think it's just good to play games in that regard um, against bigger teams. And then um, and then yeah, like Adam said, I I think that you don't really want to play too many. Uh, bottom dweller teams because um, you know look at Michigan for example Michigan lost last year to NJIT and um, I'm totally spacing and Eastern Michigan and you can't because those games on your schedule and on your resume can only be detrimental no one is going to look at your resume and say oh my god Eastern Michigan what a phenomenal win put them in a tournament it's one of those games that can only hurt you you need a couple for tune up purposes of course but you don't really want to play too many of those bad teams because they can only hurt you. The third thing I would say is because Northwestern is on the smaller end of the Big Ten, um, I think it would be really interesting if Northwestern did a home-and-home with some of the bigger mid-major teams, teams like Murray State, like Wichita State, like Davidson, um, like Old Dominion. Davidson especially. Davidson is a great academic school. Northwestern is a great academic school. Um, and just kind of to, to get Northwestern to play teams, you know, that'll be comparable to middle of the pack, to very good Big Ten teams, but also to allow these these smaller schools that, that are, are very good, that want to play, um, you know, Power Six Conference opponents, kind of it's a marriage between both. So you get teams like Murray State and Davidson that say, oh, we actually have played somebody, or even Belmont. Um, and then Northwestern gets to say on their resume at the end of the year, if they win, look, we went out of conference and scheduled a really difficult non-conference mid-major opponent the best that we could, and we won. So in that regard, I think that it would be a really interesting thing if, if teams like that um, created a home-and-home. Home. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, uh, you know, as it's probably pretty obvious from my uh, tone of voice here, I am not a fan at all of these kind of non-conference schedules. Um and and just to explain it for a second, um, you know, their their biggest again, they have those two games that they don't know who they're gonna play. You know, they could play North Carolina, we don't know for sure, but out of the games that are guaranteed right now, their most difficult games are at DePaul and at Virginia Tech, who were both bad teams last year. Um I I actually think uh I saw that none of the guaranteed teams that they have that they faced next year had a winning record last year, which should speak for itself uh, about the schedule. Um, but not only first are, do you put you, you know, they essentially have no margin for error through all of these games now, because the second they lose one game, it's an upset. You, you know, you, they can't gain anything from almost any of these games unless they're blowing out teams, because if they lose, it's an upset and it hurts their RPI. If they win, it's essentially no boost because the teams were terrible. Um, and the second thing is it puts so much pressure on those two uh, non-conference tournament games, you know, if they do play in North Carolina, because that's the only good non-conference team they're going to face, you know, most likely, you know, assuming, you know, DePaul isn't suddenly, uh, you know, a national contender or something. But 
And the thing is, is then if you lose to North Carolina, now you've lost to the only decent team you played. Um, and, and really, you, you're essentially digging yourself a hole unless you almost go undefeated uh, during non-conference play. And I, I just think that's a really bad, you know, precedent to have. I'm a big fan of having challenging schedules, especially if you're, you look like you're going to be a real contender. But the thing is, is like you need, you need winnable games against solid teams. I, I think a lot of people underrate that. And, and to kind of spin off that a little bit and try not to go too far, but, um, you know, I, I've criticized Ohio State's schedule a lot for the com- almost the complete opposite reason in the sense, you know, some similarities, but they schedule tough games, but they schedule games that are almost impossible to win. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, they'll schedule Kentucky or they'll schedule, you know, like this year they have Virginia at home and Kentucky who both look like they could be top five teams. And, and the thing is, is they almost throw themselves against a wall because they're scheduling games that are nearly impossible to win and then the rest of their games are terrible. And I think Northwestern, you know, again, Ohio State has better opponents than Northwestern, even in that lower segment. But I think they've set themselves up for failure by choosing this schedule. And, again, I I don't think Northwestern is going to win the Big Ten or anything. But, um, you know, I I think they could have done a lot better job. And they have no good home home games. Like, what a way to reward your fans, you know. Uh, You know, no interesting non-conference games at home. But that's a that's a different discussion, I guess. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think that pretty much wraps us up here uh, for for today. Uh, hopefully, we'll get another podcast in here. You know, once the draft concluded and we know you know where people landed. But um, but Josh and Adam, uh, thanks for joining us here tonight. Um, and we encourage everyone to check out the site over the next day or two uh, as the NBA draft wraps up. But thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks, Thomas.